Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning to you again. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Dogwood, and we are so glad that you are here and a part of today and a part of this series with us. You might know that we're in a series, Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. Today, we're going to be dealing with a subject that can be a little touchy for some people for some reason. Um, some of my theories on why it's a little hard for people to uh, hear this message sometimes is, I think, um, by the way, the message is the misstep of living beyond your means. And I think people equate, when churches talk about money, they, th- they see organizations and people on TV that talk about money. And they go, oh gosh, here we go again, talking about money, that's going to be terrible. So I thought we'd have a little fun to get started, right? And so I have a question for you, David. Hodge got us started last week by asking us questions. I have a question for you. Who likes to get money? Anybody? All right, I need a volunteer because we're going to give away some money this morning. Um, I need a volunteer. All right, right there. What's your name? Mike? I can't see your face. There you go, Mike. All right, so Mike, if you'll come on up here. We have a little money machine. We've got about $125 in there for you. Um, We're going to give him... About 30 seconds, since they're not about, we're going to give him 30 seconds. Jonathan's going to give him some instructions on what to do in there. Um, but we're going to cheer Mike on because we want Mike to get a lot of this money. Now, uh, just so you guys know, Mike can't reach down and pick it up off the ground. He's got to capture whatever he can in the air as it's floating around inside the money machine. Sound good? All right. Everybody ready to cheer Mike on? All right, here we go. So it looks like it's uh, zipped. That we're ready to go. So we're going to count to three. Y'all count through with me, and then we're going to say one, two, three, go. Ready? One, two, three, go. All right, let's cheer them on. There that money goes. Look at that. Mike's doing good today. Get as much as he can. All right, halfway there. Look at that. Oh, he's letting some of it go. Come on, Mike. You got this, buddy. All right, three, two, one. All right, that's it. Look at that. Some of it just fell in his hands. Did y'all see that? That was awesome. Hey, Mike, how much did you get, man? Ballpark. Or you can count it real quick. We got a few minutes. He's got some stuck in his shoes even. Look at that. That's awesome. When's the last time y'all saw something like this at church, right? All right, we're still counting. That's a good sign. $24. All right, Mike, good job. So, Mike, here's your challenge this week. We want you to take that $24 and we want you to find a way, 25 in his, in his flip-flop. you got to love it. Um, we want you to take that $25 and find a way to bless somebody's life this week. Maybe it's you go buy a tank of gas for somebody, um, pay for their meal behind you or something like that. But find a way just to, just to bless them and have fun with it and enjoy watching somebody's response to that. It's going to be awesome. All right, so we are, um, again, in this series. I have a couple of other questions for you. No, I don't have any more money to give away but I do have a couple of other questions for you. Um, how many of you have ever said something like this? If I only had a little more money, life would be easier. You've ever said that? Come on. Y'all said that. 
I said it when I was five, and I would earn $5, and I'd go, man, if I only had a little more money, life would be easier, right? We said it when we got our first jobs. We say it even today. We go, man, if only we had a little bit more, life would be easier. Now, another question for you. Raise your hand if you've ever made a dumb mistake with money, like you've spent it on something that you shouldn't, right? And you're going, oh, man, okay, half of you guys are lying right now. Because I know everybody in here has made some kind of mistake with money, right? And so what does that tell me? It tells me that, that this is something that we're all in the boat together on, of how we learning how to handle money and handling it God's way and handling it the right way. It's something that we're all in this together. Again, we're in a series here that we're calling Five Easy Steps to Wreck Your Life. And I want to give you just a very quick recap of where we have been so far in case you haven't been here uh, because you've been on vacation or whatever. Um, In week one, Pastor Chad Crouch helped us to understand that putting our hope in anything other than Christ is hopeless. We started that series with that subject or that topic because it is absolutely foundational. It's absolutely foundational to make sure that all of our decisions are based on having a relationship with Christ, how we live our lives, how we design our lives. These other things that we're talking about, how to deal with money, it all starts with having the right relationship with Christ. And so it's absolutely foundational. Our hope must be in Him and in Him alone first. Last week, David Hodge helped us to understand the dangers of making comparisons uh, in life. He told the story of the prodigal son, and he helped us to see the dangers of comparisons, but he also left us with one comparison that we do need to make. And it's, com- it's, it's looking at where our life is compared to where God the Father is. You remember, if you were here last week, you talked about comparing yourself where God the Father is. And when we make that comparison, we see that we are in need of a Savior. And we see also that there's a God who absolutely loves us and is, and is welcoming us back into His family if we would only turn back to Him. You didn't see that, hear that message. Get both of those, actually, and listen to them. They're great because God is pursuing us. And he welcomes us back. Today, a topic that we don't like to talk about too much. All kinds of reasons for it. Again, I think some because we have misconceptions of bad teaching that has happened not at this church, but at other places, uh, towards that, towards this topic. I think we also kind of have, we're a little wary of this topic because we actually like our money, don't we? I mean, we do. We like, and if, and if, you, if you were to say, no, nah, I really don't care about my money, you like the things that money buys, right? You like your possessions. And when someone starts talking about these things, it's almost like we're meddling a little bit, right? So here's what I want you to know. Today I'm not preaching at you. Today we're studying this together. But we have to acknowledge this. We have to acknowledge that throughout Scripture in the New Testament, as Jesus is speaking and teaching people, He he tells stories all the time. About two-thirds of all of His stories, all of His parables, dealt with money and or possessions. You can go through and read them. They dealt with money and or possessions. Why would Jesus choose money and or possessions to be the thing that He was going to talk about to help people understand? Well, I think it's because in a lot of ways, he knew that we all have a desire for money. We all have a desire for things to be great. And he knew that by using those illustrations, it was something that he could tap into each one of us because we all struggle in this area. I'm going to say this phrase hopefully at least a couple of times, but if not, I want you to know this up front. Money in and of itself is a tool. It's neither good nor bad. In and of itself, it's simply a tool. You can think of money like this. You can think of it almost like fire, right? Fire is a good tool sometimes. Fire is a bad tool sometimes. Fire can keep your house warm, right? Yes? Fire can cook your food. That's all good stuff. 
fire in the hands of an arsonist is terrible, right? Things get burned down. But you know, there's a third group of people that could possibly use fire. It's people who are unwise with it or they play with fire. And the damage that they cause can be as much as an arsonist, right? They can cause tremendous damage by playing with fire. Well, money, you can look at it the same way. We can use money for good. We can actually use money for evil. Or we could just use it unwisely and still cause all kinds of damage in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And so we've got to be very, very careful with how we deal with money. Now, most of us know and understand, at least intellectually, that we should live by some kind of a budget. Whether or not you, you... you have this big, long spreadsheet or not, you at least intellectually probably understand if you make $100, you don't spend more than $100, right? Or at least we shouldn't. But we struggle with that. We struggle with it. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. We don't typically go around saying to ourselves and to other people, hey, I'm a slave to money or I'm a slave to a lender. But we do say things like this, and I've said things like this before. I would love to get married, but I just can't afford it. I can't afford what our culture is now saying a normal wedding is, is like twenty dollars to $40,000. And so instead, we're just going to live together. I'd love to start a family, but I just can't afford to do that. Or we say, you know what, it sure would be great for one of us to be able to stay home and be with the kids, and help raise them. But we just can't afford it. Or I'd, I'd love to give God more money through our tithes and offerings, but I just can't afford it. Or I'd go on a mission trip one day, but I just can't afford it right now. Or here's the thing I think that I hear some people say that actually makes me the saddest. And they say things like this, I hate my job. It brings me no fulfillment in life pays the bills, and I feel like I'm stuck. I'm just there. What we're seeing in all of those statements is this, is that we're trapped. We're in bondage to this thing called money. And while most of us probably would go, ah, no, I'm okay. I'm good. I don't have a problem with it. Stats for American society tell us that we have a tremendous problem with how we handle money. The average household in America right now pays 9% of their income in debt payments. In other words, in interest payments. That's terrible. For every $100 you're making, you're spending nine of it just to borrow money. It's hard to get ahead when that's the case. The average house in America spends, or let me say that differently. The average household in America is in debt 136% of their yearly income. That means making $100, you're spending $136. You can't do that for very long unless you're the government and you can just print more money. Right? I don't mean to get political, but I'm just saying, that doesn't last forever. That eventually is going to stop working for the government. It's eventually going to stop working in your life if that's how you're living. The average credit card balance in each household in America averages almost $16,000. That's a lot of money. The number of households in America living paycheck to paycheck, in other words, they don't have money in savings, is somewhere between 55 and 60%. So here's what that means. That means that if, if, if people from about here over, you lost your jobs tomorrow, means that on average, this side of the room would, would lose everything because they don't have money in savings. It's terrible. We can't continue to live that way. We, we have to make sure we are living with God's heart towards our money and towards our 
possessions. So let me encourage you to keep an open mind today as we study God's Word together and know that I'm not pointing fingers at you. We're studying this together and allowing God to change our heart together. Does that sound good? All right. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Before we dig into there, let me pray for us, okay? Let's pray. Father God, in this world and in this culture we live in today, it is easy for us to live outside of your will and your ways when it comes to money. It's easy to waste money on things that don't matter. It's easy to get consumed with wanting new and better things. And So God, as we study your word today, help us to have your heart towards you, your heart towards people, and your heart towards money and possessions. God, change our heart. We need you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bible, turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 is where we're going to start. Let me read that for you. It says this, But godliness with contentment is a great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. Paul is writing to Timothy. And he's saying, listen, the first step to make sure that you don't live beyond your means is learn to be content. Learn to be content. Most of us today, we struggle with one of two things with being content. For a lot of us that struggle with being content, it's this. Some of us struggle with keeping up with the Joneses. We look at other people out there, we see all the nice things that they have, and we go, "Mm, I deserve that. I should have that too. And so we go out and get a loan so we can buy whatever that thing is. Others of us, it's not so much that, that we want to keep up with other people, it's that we just like the shiny new things, right? We do. We like the shiny new things. We like the shiny new cars. We like how they smell, but after about a year, they don't smell that way anymore. And we go, ah, we need to go get another one because it needs to smell good, right? Paul's writing to us there and he says, no, listen, be content. Be content with what you have. Paul writes very, something very similar in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He writes and he says this, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. By the way, that last verse there, number 13, has nothing to do with scoring touchdowns. Right? It's all about being living a content life no matter our circumstances in life. Why? Because our contentment is not based on the things that we have or the money in our account. Our contentment according to this is based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's actually what makes us content. So, how do we start to live this way? Well, let me give you four easy steps. Four easy steps to live a life of contentment. The first is this. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Actually, last week's message was all about this that David Hodge helped us to understand. He referenced this verse, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Do not covet your neighbor's house, wife, servant, ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't look at those things and and longingly desire for those things. But it, that's, it's easy for us to do. It's easy for us to look at other stuff and go, man, I wish I had that. We go to other people's houses, and it looks as though Chip and Joanna Gaines was there. Now, some of you are going, how do you know who that is? 
I'm forced to watch that every once in a while, okay? For those of you who don't know what it is, just forget that and just know that their house looks really nice and we walk in and we go, I wish my house looked nice like that. And so then we go and we do whatever we can to make our house designed that way. We get the big screen TVs or the nice watches or whatever it is that you're spending money on that we shouldn't be spending money on because we don't have enough of the money. Don't compare yourself to other people because when you start comparing yourself to other people, you end up spending more than you have. Second step, learn to enjoy what you do have. Learn to enjoy what you do have. You see, we were actually created to enjoy life. We were created to worship God. But God created everything in the world for us to enjoy. We'll read that verse in just a few moments in chapter 6 of uh, 1 Timothy. But God says that, hey, listen, you were created to enjoy. I've created all these things for you to enjoy. Uh, last Sunday, my son Luke, my youngest son, um, bought himself, he had been saving his money for a while, a remote control boat. All right, And I don't mean the kind that you find at Toys R Us. I'm talking about the kind you go to the hobby store, you, you spend a little bit of money on them, and you have a lot of fun with them. He had been saving for a while. So last Sunday after church, he and I, we drive down there, we get the boat, we bring it home, we do what we do, need to do to it to get it working and ready to go. You charge it for what seemed like four hours to him. I think it was like two and a half, but it seemed like for forever. We got in the golf cart, we drove down to the pond near my mom's house so that he could drive the boat um, out there. And so, man, he gets out there, he's having a great time, and it is really fun. He's driving it, and if you, if you gun it and turn it just right, the boat will actually sink down under the water, dive down under the water, and come back flying up. I mean, it was fun. I'm sitting in the golf cart just watching him with a, with a smile from ear to ear. Man, he's absolutely loving life at the moment, and it's good. And then he looks over at me sitting on the golf cart, and he says, hey, Dad, would you like to drive my boat? And I was like, sure, I'd love to drive your boat. So I walk down to the edge of the pond. He hands me the remote control. I put it in my hand, and I squeeze the trigger, and it goes zoom and stops. The battery died in the thing. And so I didn't get to drive it, which was fine. But he looks up at me, and, and he, he's going, Dad, I'm sorry that you didn't get to drive it. I, I know you'd really have enjoyed driving it. He, I mean, he honestly felt bad. I think he felt like I was going to cry if, because I didn't get to drive, drive it. Because he felt terrible. So I'm telling him on the drive home, I say, listen, buddy, I said, don't worry about me not getting to drive it. There's going to be time to do that in the future. I said, but you know what I really enjoyed doing this afternoon? I enjoyed, it. I enjoyed spending the afternoon with you, going to lunch, going to the hobby store and picking out the boat, put, helping to put it together, and then coming out here and watching you enjoy it. Now, if you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about, right? You love watching your kids enjoy things. If you're not a parent yet, you'll get it one day. God absolutely enjoys watching us enjoy things. Now, as an, let me step away from scripture, scripture for just a second and say, give you my theory on how I know God enjoys watching us enjoy things. All right, you ready? If God didn't want us to enjoy things, God would have made all food broccoli, right? But instead, God gave us taste buds, and God gave us awesome things like raspberries and apples and bacon to enjoy. Can I get an amen on the bacon? Yes. God gave us those things to enjoy. If he didn't want us to enjoy things, everything would be broccoli and there'd be no cheese to go on it. Right? Okay, God wants us to enjoy things. It's not bad to enjoy things. We have to learn, though, to enjoy what we have, not comparing ourselves to other people and what we don't have. Enjoy what we do have. Because we only have a couple of options when we don't have what we think we want. We work harder to make more money to buy things that we then don't have time to spend do, or we adjust our wants. 
to adjust our wants. We go, you know what? I don't have to have the new shiny thing. I can deal with what I've got. Because what I've got works. And it's fine. There's a third step in being content. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus is speaking. And he says, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not judged upon your possessions. One day at the end of life, one day at the end of life, you're not going to be on your deathbed going, you know what, I sure wish I had all my toys around me right now. I sure wish I had my 401k sitting around me right now, clinging on to those things. You know what you're going to want with you? You're going to want your family. You're going to want your friends to be there. Our lives are not about our possessions. And when we most clearly see that is typically when we start to approach death, we start to get it and go, oh gosh, all of those things, they don't really matter. What really matters is relationships and people. But there's a fourth step to being content is that we have to learn to focus on what's going to last forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What the Bible is teaching us there is everything that we see, whether it's the buildings or the trees, it's all going to go away one day. It's going to get rusted, rotten, whatever. It's going to, it's going to tear down and break down eventually. But what's not going to go away, what's unseen, are people's souls. You see, we were created, you and I as people, we were created to actually live forever. Our souls were created to live forever. And we're either going to live forever with God in a perfect place, better than you can even imagine, called heaven, or a place that's worse than your terrible dreams, called hell. And so if we focus our lives on helping as many people as we possibly can know Jesus so that they can experience heaven one day for an eternity, I'm telling you, that helps you live a life of contentment because then your focus is not on all the other stuff in the world. Your focus is on people and their eternities. It'll help you live a life of contentment. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and he gives us some warnings about making sure that we're not going to live a life beyond our means. He says these warnings are about about loving money. Listen to what he says in verses 9 through 10. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Paul's writing to us here, and he's saying, Listen, there's warning signs. For those of you guys, those of us that are all about just seeking more money and seeking more wealth and that that's the desire of your heart, he's saying, be careful out there. Danger. There's danger ahead. It's, it's like this. If you're driving down the interstate and there's a warning sign that says uneven pavement, that's particularly helpful if you're a motorcycle rider because you can be aware that that's happening. Right? Why do they put those signs there? So that you don't like wreck and hurt yourself and other people, right? All is, and God is telling us here, listen, be careful because if you're all about consuming more stuff, be careful, there's danger ahead. Well, what are those dangers? He says, wealth, wealth tempts us to covet the wrong objects. It, it tempts us to covet things that don't really matter, things that might actually cause harm for us. It's, it's kind of like 
a good fishing lure looks to a fish. You've been to Kmart, Walmart, you bought your fishing lure, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. That looks like a real fish that I've ever seen before, but it looks good, right? To the fish, when you put it in the water, that fish looks at it and goes, wow, that's my next meal. I'm going to eat that, and it's going to be good. But what happens when that fish eats that lure? He gets a mouthful of treble hooks. That doesn't turn out well for the fish, right? I mean, on the small scale, it puts a little hole in his lip, and he gets to get thrown back in the, or the ocean or the lake, wherever it is that you're fishing, and it's all good. Y'all don't worry about the fish, okay? It's okay. But for other of those fish that get caught, what happens to them? They get filleted and fried, right? Or baked, grilled, whatever it is you like to do to your fish. Remember, God created all things for us to enjoy. Enjoy that fish. The point is this, is that fish was looking at that lure thinking it was going to be satisfying to him, and it ended up causing him harm and damage. And so if you and I covet the wrong things, covet money and possessions, it has the tendency to cause damage to our lives. Why? Because objects and things will never fully satisfy us. Your car will lose the new smell. A new computer in just a few short days will no longer be the fastest anymore. Things are changing, right? Our clothes that we buy, they're going to go out of fashion. And it's going to look like you were from the 70s one day. And then just keep hold on to them long enough because they'll cycle back around and you'll be okay. But, but just be careful on how you're spending your money and your resources there and wanting things. He also says that wealth causes us to get trapped like an animal. Now, the word there that he was talking about, trapped like an animal, he's actually using a word that we would also call a snare. Y'all know what a snare is? It's kind of like the string that's got a circle in it, and the animal steps in there, and you pull the string really quick, and it tightens around that animal so the animal can't get out. The animal never saw that coming. Desiring and wanting and pursuing your life all after just money it will ensnare you. And all of a sudden, one day you'll wake up and go, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I didn't even realize I was making some of those choices. I didn't even realize I was making a choice to hurt my family. You have to be careful. There's a danger in that. He goes on to say that pursuing being rich can lead to foolish and harmful desires which will plunge people into ruin and destruction. We get tempted to pad our sales numbers so that we can get a better bonus. We get tempted to cheat on our taxes and take deductions that we shouldn't so that we don't have to give as much money to the government. We get tempted to put work over family. We regularly make choices when we get home to not turn off work. It leads to destruction. Listen, if you struggle with this, when you go home, you take this device. If you find yourself when you get home, it's still ringing. You're still getting those texts coming through. You're still getting emails and you're sitting there and your kid's trying to tell you about Pokemon Go and all that they found today. And you're sitting there like this, you're like, uh-huh, got it, what, what's a Pokemon Go? And you're like, what? And you're just, you're doing this, and your, your face is there. Turn the thing off for the first two hours when you get home. I get it, some of you have to stay connected, I understand. Wait till your kid goes to bed then, right? Because when you focus on these things, what you're telling people around you is, is that they don't matter to you. One day, you'll regret that. The drive for money can even destroy friendships, and ultimately, sometimes, can lead to compromising a relationship with Christ. According to verse 10, some have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains because they've made choices to pursue money and wealth instead of pursuing God with all of their hearts. So we've looked at some practical ways to to be content, right? We've looked at some of the warning signs that Paul says to Timothy and says, look, be careful, be careful. Pursuing money and wealth can can have some dangerous consequences in your life. Thankfully, Paul continues to teach us in verse 17 
some instructions on what we are to do with our money and resources. He says this in verse 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of a life that is rich. Paul's given us instructions here of how we are to use our wealth and resources. He says, instruct those who are rich. Now, let me just tell you, 99.999% of us in this room were rich compared to the world standard. I've been to places around the world that are in extreme poverty. I've met kids and families that they don't know where their next meal is coming, and on average they say that they eat about once every three days. They live in a little dirt hut with a roof that barely covers their head, and they don't have enough clothes. They hardly, hardly have. They may have one set of clothing that barely covers them. Paul is writing to us, instructing those who are rich: How do you handle your resources? He says this: Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant in your resources or in your wealth, because it's not money and possession that gives us value. It's the fact that we're loved by God that gives us value. Every one of us has value, no matter how many dollar signs or how many zeros you have connected to your name or how big of a house you live in or what you don't have. We're all valued by God. We're all loved tremendously by God. He also warns us to not put our hope in the uncertainty of wealth. What is this uncertainty? Were you paying attention to what happened when the United Kingdom voted to exit the uh, European Union? For a few days, it was a little, it was a little rough out there on the stock market. A lot of wealth disappeared. I know some of you are going, yeah, but it all came back and it's even better than it was right now, at least in terms of the stock market. Well, think back to 2008 and all the lives that were devastated and changed with the housing market bubble. The businesses that had to close because people couldn't afford to make the payments. Or even think back to the early 2000s with the dot-com bubble. Wealth is fleeting and can get gone very, very quickly. Instead, we put our hope in God who richly provides us. He's describing for us here an attitude, a change of heart, of living a life instead of arrogance and self-indulgence, a life of thanksgiving to God for whatever it is we do have. He's saying, listen, what you have been given, whatever it is, has been given to you by God. And when we begin to treat our money and possessions as gifts from God, we begin to see and use possessions as God wants us to. Verse 18 gives us course things that we're to do very quickly. He says we're to, we're to use our wealth to do good. Instead of just making a plush life for ourselves, we're to actually do good with our resources. He says we're to be rich in good deeds. Being rich in good deeds means that we take our wealth and our resources and we use it to meet people's needs so that we can share Christ with them. Because really we want to focus on the things that are unseen, right? We just talked about that not too long ago. To be rich in good deeds. We're to be generous. In other words, that we're to share our resources with other people. We share those resources with other people because we realize this. We, we, instead of holding our resources like this with a closed fist, we realize that all of our resources were given to us by God and are given to us to help other people know who He is. And we say and pray daily, God, how do you want me to use my house? How do you want me to use my car? How do you want me to use my money? How do you want me to use my time and my talents to 
help other people come to know you. That's how we start walking through life. And finally, we're willing to share. Because when we're willing to share and we're living this way, we're able to help take care, or excuse me, we're able to store up treasure for the coming age and take hold of a life that's real. And he's not talking about earning God's salvation. He's not talking about earning favor with God. He's not even talking about give so that you can get more money. He's saying, listen, when you have the right attitude towards money and possessions, and you realize that those things have been given to us to help other people come to know who Jesus is, that gives you the right focus in life. It gives you a heart like His. Did you guys know the, the, the sinking of the Titanic could have been avoided? About a year ago, Lindsay and I and a couple of good friends, we got to go to Ireland and we went to the Titanic Museum, which is really fun. Really kind of neat. Fun might not be the right word, but it, it's cool. It's very well done. You can spend about a half a day there and, it, and it's good. But it could have been avoided. The day before it sunk, there were six messages that came through the radio to all the ships passing through saying, hey, listen, be careful. There's icebergs ahead that are going to cause danger for you guys. One of the last transmissions from the Titanic before they started sending out the SOS stuff basically was the people in the control room of the Titanic saying, would you guys please quit warning us about the icebergs because we're trying to communicate with the, with the place where we're ultimately going. What were they communicating to the place where they were going? They were talking about what are, what's going to happen with all of the bags and the people getting into their hotels, what's going to happen to the bags, getting them off the ship, and to where they're going to their homes. That was much more important to them than being worried about the icebergs. Why? Because they thought what they were on was unsinkable. It was a beautiful ship. It was a wealthy ship. The decks were polished, beautiful chandeliers. It was the biggest thing made, or at least the biggest moving object that had been made. Engines that were supposed to keep that thing going. They thought they were invincible. I have a fear. My fear is that many of us, we view our wealth, we put our hope in wealth, much like people put their hope and faith in the Titanic, and we ignore the warning signs. And when we do, it's dangerous. It's dangerous because that money can get gone. That wealth can get gone immediately. Money or the love of money can blind us. We need to ask God to search our hearts and search our lives and say, God, do I have a heart for you? Do I have a heart to use my money and possessions the way that you're calling me to use my money and possessions? Or am I in this for myself? I can't answer that question for you. So I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. As you're doing that, I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and make their way onto the stage. But I want you to, if you're already a follower of Christ, I want you to ask God to search you and to, to say, Ask this question. God, am I living life like I'm on the Titanic right now, thinking that I'm unsinkable, I'm unstoppable because my 401k is great, I'm in a great home, everything's good. Am I pursuing wealth and resources and possessions, or am I pursuing you with all that I am? And if God speaks to you and says, yeah, you're in danger, then... My ask of you is this, just simply repent of that. Say to God, God, I'm sorry, help me. Help me to have your heart towards you, towards people, and towards my possessions and money. And then begin to take steps to use your resources
There's another group of people in here. There's some of you that are not yet followers of Christ. And for you, I want to remind you this. It goes back to the first message of this series, Five Steps to Wreck Your Life. Putting your hope in anything other than Jesus is hopeless. And so maybe this morning you need to choose to enter into a relationship with Christ and become a follower of Him. And if so, then tell God something like this in your own words. Because this isn't a magic incantation. Don't get the words just right. It's okay. God's concerned about what's going on inside of you. Tell Him something like this. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask You to come into my life to be my leader, my boss, my forgiver. God, I also ask You to forgive me of my sins. Me choosing to go my way and not Yours. Thank You for being my forgiver. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask that You let us know about it. On the back of your communication card that Pastor Chad spoke about just a little bit ago, there's a box that you can check that says, Today I'm committing my life to Christ. Check that box. This church exists to help you on that journey of knowing God. Still an attitude of prayer. I want to give you one last tidbit of advice. If you need some help with this, I get it. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to figure out how to manage your finances. It's hard to figure out how to live within a budget. This church offers a class called Financial Peace University a couple of times every year. On the front side of your communication card, if you look down at the very bottom, there's some letters A, B, C, D, E, F. If you'll circle the letter F, that'll let us know that you're interested in taking the next Financial Peace University class. It's a class that will take about the next nine or ten weeks, and you'll go through and you'll study God's Word about how to handle money in detail, and you'll leave there with great, easy tools to help you manage your resources wisely. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity that you've given us to gather, to worship you in song and by studying your word. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to have a heart for you, to have a heart for people, and that you would change our heart when it comes to how we deal with money and possessions. God, help us to see them as gifts from you. Help us to hold on to them with an open hand, asking you to guide us on a daily basis power to use those resources. And God, help us to be content with where we are and what we have. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.